The nail in the coffin! the nail in the coffin i'm tom he's travis trev how you doing my man i'm doing pretty good for a sunny evening how about yourself i cannot complain just uh, settling in here and uh, i've got some football on in the background i did not see much of the browns today and by all accounts that was probably the right move yeah they put me to sleep pretty quickly it was uh <laughs> not all that all that excitement we've been building up over the last couple of weeks did not uh did not translate too much this week no no apparently not it was a, a rough day uh, down on the lakefront but uh, anyway, in the words of Joe Tate, it is basketball time in Cleveland. Uh, the Cavaliers, or as Tristan Thompson will be happy to remind you, the reigning and defending four-time Eastern Conference champion Cleveland Cavaliers, will begin their yep. Sunday or their season on Wednesday night in Toronto. Uh, for obvious reasons, things are going to be just a bit different than recent years. Uh, <laughs> so to help get us caught up and uh, get ready for the start of the season. We have Carter Rodriguez joining us. Carter, how are you, man? I'm doing very well. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're our, we. I have a big uh, work trip coming up uh, next week, so I'm like not even thinking about the Cavs. So like the fact that they're coming back on Wednesday is like whoa, really <laughs> caught me off guard. <laughs> I think that's probably most people. I think with uh, the way the Indian season ended and the Brown season has been going, I'm not sure Cavs have been very uh, front of mind for most people in Cleveland, but. And they'll probably continue not to be. Yeah, that's probably probably pretty fair. That's pretty fair, I think. Well, uh, uh, Carter needs no, no introduction, but I should mention he writes for FearTheSword.com and is the also the co-host of uh, my favorite Cavs podcast, uh, The Chase Down. Uh, so, Carter, if the Cavs are not top of mind for you, um, we, we might need to rectify that here because uh, things are going to start to get serious here and they're going to start to count in a few days. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for it. It's going to be really fun, uh, you know. It's, especially with the way that te- did you feel like the team sort of treated the preseason like they were still good? Yes. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know if like I I felt passionately enough to like make a strong take about it in like some written post, but it was like, guys, I think you're probably going to suck. You probably shouldn't be giving Jetty Osmond rest days. Yeah, that was uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, we gotta we gotta protect all the uh, the guys. They they've got their reps in. They're fine. You know, we don't need to be building any sort of chemistry here, or, or you know, trying to set up a new offense or anything like that. We we know everything. We've got our identity. We're good to go. It's uh, it's a dubious way to conduct yourself in the preseason, given the circumstances. But uh, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, Carter, you and and Justin uh, Rowan, who we've had on here previously. Uh, you guys have built a nice little uh, empire for yourselves with uh, with your podcast. Uh, it's been kind of fun to see the niche that you guys have created within the Cavs fan base um, with the, the chat that you guys have got going on and just some of the other things you're doing. Yeah, you know, uh, I think this is something that uh, the, the, the chat community kind of came by accident. Ultimately, we started a Patreon, which I... Uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were a, uh, a loyal subscriber too. Uh, after we had kind of had a rough go with one of our podcast networks that didn't really work out. So we were paying our own hosting fees and it was like, you know, we really like doing the podcast and we really don't 
do it to turn a buck, but you know, we were losing money on it. So we're like, ah, you know what? Let's uh, maybe look into a Patreon. And then, you know, the Patreon gets built and we're like, well, shit, we probably should, uh, we should probably give something to some <laughs> to people. For, Cause like, I love the, like when they're like, uh, like obviously like terrible things, like we'll shout you out. It's like, who cares? <laughs> we're not celebrities. <laughs> like, so we had to come up, we had to kind of get creative and, uh, we started this kind of invite-only exclusive chat in Discord, which is a chat app that, honestly, primarily gamers use. Um, and uh, after we got picked up by a new network, we opened it up for anyone who reviews and sends us reviews our podcast on iTunes and sends us a, a, a link. And it, I think you can attest, Tom, I think it's turned into a fun, you know, not to use a cliched term, but a safe space for Cavs fans <laughs> to get to hang out. Um, and not like... You know, like Twitter's just so toxic all the time. Like even when it's not like life or death politics, it's just like everyone trying to get a leg up on each other. And I think we all are guilty of it. It's just like a constant war. So you don't get to like you don't really get the luxury of just working through an idea. Um, And I think that's what's been cool about the discord is like, okay, we can just talk. We can throw out wild theories about the Cavs. We can have our in-the-moment reactions, not knowing we won't be held to a bad take. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, and we hope it keeps growing because we we like that we have a little community of people who all like the podcast we do and, most more importantly, all like the Cavs and uh, can talk about it in a healthy, fun way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to jumping in there more during games. I haven't really been as active um uh, during the preseason, because um, well, you know, thank God for that. The game's <laughs> been terrible. <laughs> I want to ruin a good thing here, um, but uh, no, it's uh, it's fun. It's a, it's a good group. Um, so as I had kind of mentioned off the top, it's obviously going to be kind of a different season here, and I'm just kind of curious how does that change your approach as someone who covers the team, and also um, what does it do for expectations um, from someone who's just a fan? Um, so I think the first uh, part of that question is actually more interesting. Um, it was a real drag uh, analyzing this team's performance the last four years. Um, now, to be clear, it has n- it was not a real drag to to cover all the drama, all the you know all the ridiculousness. But from a basketball perspective, in the regular season specifically, which let's be honest is you know. 80% of the coverage, uh, it was it, it was impossible, really, because we knew they weren't trying. And it's really hard to to break down how well Tyron Lue's defensive scheme is working or uh, who should be playing where when, like, every, every critique had to be couched with. But we know they don't really give a damn. <laughs> um, like, that, that, it's just sort of analysis death, you know? But you also can't couldn't be disingenuous and just say and pretend like that wasn't an issue right so uh a team that's actually going to need to try every night if they want any chance of winning um matters a lot and it, it, it actually allows you to analyze what players are playing well which ones are playing poorly who deserves spots in the rotation uh who's taking a step forward who maybe should be moved uh, all that is a lot easier to analyze on a team that's actually fighting for its life on a night-to-night basis. Now, we might find that the team ends up going 
the exact opposite way. But even then, teams don't just stop trying as much as they just play worse players uh, when they're tanking. You know, yeah. we'll see some Billy Preston minutes here and there. So from an analysis perspective, I'm actually excited. Um, it's going to be a lot more interesting to write about. Um, as a fan, I don't know, man. The nice thing about expectations is that they're fluid. You know, as, as annoying as goalpost moving is uh, among fan bases, it actually helps when you go the other way. Um, unless you're Justin Rowan, my foolish co-host, uh, you probably don't think the playoffs are, are in the cards. And so from that end, I think, you know, if this team goes out and wins 40 games, I'm going to be proud as hell of them as a fan. Um, and that'll be fun. All they really have to do is outperform expectations for us to have fun as a fan base, right? Or, you know, well, some some Cleveland fans are miserable no matter what, but I try not to concern myself with them. <laughs> I think, though, it's 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 sort of you say that they're like, yeah, everyone's expectations should be different. And I think in the back of their head, they probably are. Um, you know, if everyone's being honest with themselves, they'll agree. Yeah, you shouldn't expect anywhere near what you've got in the last few years. But I don't know that you can really count on people to to voice that that feeling. Um I think just it's going to be weird watching the season. Like you sort of mentioned, the regular season hasn't for the most part mattered. And it's been sort of brutal to sort of plod through it the last few years. So I think people having to sort of get their Cavs basketball out of these games that they're not used to caring about will could potentially be a bit of a challenge for them. Yeah. I think there's definitely going to be those reactions of like fire Lou uh, and uh, in game 42 of this season or game 33, and you know, in I fairness, think, we had those game thirty-three of the last yeah, season, yeah, last fair, couple seasons. Fair. As well. It happens. It happens. Like that's the thing about being diehard losers, like we are, is we we were always going to care. <laughs> we just wanted the team to care as much as we did. I'm not sure and, I want to embrace that diehard losers uh, mentality, but I can't necessarily disagree with it either. Well, yeah, I, I know what I am. Uh, <laughs> I've learned that's an important thing in life. Uh, you got to know who you are, and I'm a diehard loser. That's like that's why I always like it when people like, you know, like as much as I don't like that the Warriors are so good and like in my mind like fairly unbeatable. It's like if if the league if evidence shows that the league is better when there's a super team and fans like to see that and tune into them, and the only people you hurt are your diehards like me who are just going to still watch like I'm not going to not watch just because I think it's preordained so it like like all the hand-wringing about stuff like that doesn't end up actually being a problem because the people most affected are the people who are never ever going to leave you <laughs> all right so Cavs diehards or diehard losers whatever you want to call us there there is that group that uh was around in the four dark years between LeBron eras if you're somebody who got on the bandwagon within the past four years when uh, we were riding the gravy train with biscuit wheels and uh, you're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're making the I pledge. I love that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> what was that? Uh, Big Lebowski, I think I got that. For, I don't even remember. That's so old. But um, So if you're somebody that's, that's kind of gotten on board with it in the past few years and you're saying, like, you know what? I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm not bailing now. Um, Kev's fan fan base the Cavs fan base Cavs Twitter um and you know the Cavs uh, uh chase down discord chat uh it, it's an interesting group um and I kind of am interesting to I'm interested to see what the dynamic is going to be like 
uh, just listening to people talk about this team this year. Um, now that, you know, we're going into whatever it is we're going into. Well, not a rebuild. Damn it. <laughs> they, the Cavs PR front said angrily while shaking their fists. This is not a rebuild. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I do think like, as I said, like moving goalposts is kind of a helpful thing in this scenario. You know, like I think if you go into this season with the, with the only mindset of like any step that's not towards eventually winning a championship is a bad step, then yeah, you're probably gonna have a pretty brutal year. But like, if you can accept, if a fan can accept like, Hey, Jetty's going to have some really bad games and Colin Sexton's going to have some games where he shoots four of 17, but you live, I think as a fan and you can feel free to jump in and disagree with me, but I feel like as a fan of a team that's not competing for a championship, you live for the little flashes. I would agree with that. Um, so like, go yeah, ahead, no, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. You're good. <laughs> well, so those little flashes, you mentioned Jetty, you mentioned Sexton. Who are some of the young guys that, you know, we should be getting excited about this year? Because there's definitely, I know there's a lot of holdovers from the roster from last year, at least for now. Um, but there, there's going to be some new phases and definitely some guys getting their, uh, having bigger roles than they might have had last year. Um, who, who should we be getting fired up about? Yeah, I think Jetty is the guy that's the most interesting. And I, someone tweeted something the other day. It was like, we're all higher on Jetty's ceiling than Colin Sexton's, right? And it was a funny tweet to see because I think your average fan would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, and it, the Jetty thing is funny because we, we're kind of joking about how much we're hyping him up. But we're kind of not. <laughs> you know? Like, there's this, like, there's this grain of, like, Oh man, how cool would it be if he's good? Because we do see the the things that could make a really good, a high level player. If not, maybe never an all star, but a high level player. It's you know, uh, unbelievably uh, strong athleticism, especially for a white kid. Let's call it what it is. Um, really good, like a total tryhard on both sides of the ball, like a really active cutter, um, dead sprints and transition every time up and down the floor. Um, working on his jump shot, the three pointer looks good, it, but then you also see reasons why uh, maybe he's not going to get there. I mean, he's not particularly strong. I I think what we all remember the like six straight possessions, Ben Simmons just housed him in the post uh, in that like February Sixers Cavs game where they just had to pull him out because he just couldn't guard him. Um, he also he still can't dribble. Um, the jumper, even though it's improving, is still shaky. Um, and then, like you know like. Basketball is more than just a series of uh, skill attributes. You know, it's if you really want to jump to be a really good player, there's another step he probably has to take. But we do see him going in that direction. So I think if you're a Cavs fan and you're really looking to to revolve your attention around one player's growth, I do think it's Jetty. Um, it's seeing how he handles out of the pick and roll, how he shoots threes coming off curls as opposed to simply spotting up in the quarter while being fed a shot with the seams lined up just the way he likes them from LeBron with seven feet of space between his defender and him. You know, like seeing him take some of these tougher shots and up his degree of difficulty in a larger diet of minutes. Um, that's what I want to see. I want to see how he can develop at the little things. And then I'll worry about the big things like, Oh, he still can't dribble. I'll worry about that stuff later. 
Um, this team doesn't look like it's going to ask him to be a primary initiator. Uh, so seeing him develop as a secondary, you know, Nick Batum-esque offensive initiator, uh, that feels like a good goal for this year and something that's really going to determine this Cavs team's ceiling. Am I crazy or watching him in some of the highlights from over the summer when he was playing overseas? Is his jumper starting to look a little bit more like Kyle Korver's? Yeah, I can't tell if we're just full of shit there or not. You know, <laughs> like, I just somebody it, cut it like it does side by better. side, like coming off a screen or something. And I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he said at media day he hadn't like been working with him specifically, so I I don't know. Maybe he's just molding. Maybe it's just Corver has perfect form. So if you're going to use anyone as an example, he's pretty good. Um, I don't really. Yeah, I I am interested to see his release point, he's getting off a lot quicker. It's a little bit less of a process. Um, I, For whatever reason, like everyone else was pounding the Corver drum, but I'm just anxious about it because I actually really think he can be a good shooter, um, though he didn't really show it consistently last year. You know, he shot an okay percentage, but you couldn't really count on him to, to hit high leverage threes. Uh, the Cavs are going to need him to hit big threes, difficult threes, and... I'm not sure he's quite there yet, but I'll tell you this much. I'm okay with him chucking them. If he's taking seven, eight threes in a game, I think that's completely fine with me, even if he's only hitting two or three. All right. Sexton, what what do we need to know about this guy? He's uh, coming out of uh, Alabama. I, I think the, the favorite phrase that I read, uh, it was a preview on him, I think, on Bleacher Report during – March Madness, and they said he's extremely here to beat your ass and still have enough left in the tank after to tell you about it. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting guy um, from the perspective of everyone raves about his personality, uh, says he's an absolute killer, but he's also a really nice kid and a really hard worker. And that's a good combo to have, you know, because I I don't know, man, like I see the sociopath model, the Kobe model, and I'm ever, I'm just like, ugh, because only really really great players can pull that off and the and the secret they they don't tell you is they probably could pull it off without being a dick (laughs) (laughs) kobe and mj would have been pretty freaking good even if they were nice guys (laughs) like i don't think i don't think that made them so much better um and you know but you hear that he's a really good guy and i'm cool with you talking trash and uh that that being a way to fire yourself up and it seems like that's a big part of his game uh, from a basketball perspective, he's not as tall as you'd like him to be. I think guys with tall hair trick us a little bit. I don't know if you feel <laughs> that way. Felt that way about Andy sometimes back in the day. Oh, I'm thinking um, of employing that strategy myself in my personal right. life. Oh yeah, can't rule it out. Um, and like he does have tall hair. He's like six foot nothing. And like you really want your point guard to be six one or or you know probably at least six two in the modern NBA because it makes you more switchable. But he does have longer arms and a decent wingspan that should help mitigate that a little bit. Uh, he's a rugged on ball defender, but not a really good one yet. Um, but that takes time. You have to get strong. He's already fast. He's got decent hands, but there's just no such thing as a good point guard defender as a rookie. Um, this scouting report sounds eerily similar to the guy the Browns drafted as their quarterback. Oh, my God. I was just thinking that. <laughs> hey, he's a little shorter than you'd like. You'd like to be about two inches taller, but, you know, he's a really hard worker. He's, uh, he's got a hell of an attitude, real competitor out there. Like, Yeah, I feel like I heard this a few months ago. Yeah, where the where the things fall off is there is a skill drop off here with Sexton. Uh, the jumper is not there. 
uh, yet. Uh, he is all athlete, all aggression, all straight line speed. Uh, plays at just one speed. He's got to learn how to change his speeds. So I think if you just locked him in a room and said, watch Brandon Roy play basketball, like a guy who was never the fastest but but could you know, shift from first into third into second into fourth into sixth uh, at will. And that, and he's got the explosiveness to be able to do that. But if you're just, if you're just dead sprinting at all times, that's actually not that hard to defend, uh, even for a more slow footed NBA defender. And it makes it really easy for help to come. Uh, So I think changing speeds is going to be really important for him. Obviously the jumper needs to get worked on. And, you know, he had a, a few spot ups in the, in preseason, but uh, on ball, I think he's going to have to hit some because they're just going to drag down. And he's not such a great finisher right now that it, it, he can overcome it. I think, you know, the only point guards that can really, really, really overcome that lack of spacing, and it's questionable if they even do it, are like Russell Westbrook. And at the highest level, we see him struggle. Um, you know, like look at what he did, to, what Rudy Gobert did to him in the playoffs last year. Like, so he has to get at least a decent off the dribble jumper that draws his defenders out and changes the geometry of the floor because teams are going to be so content to sit back. With that said, the Cavs have some good spacers, um, especially in Kevin Love. I think if they're if those two aren't running pick and pop after pick and pop after pick and pop, people are making a mistake, um, or the te- the coaching staff is making a mistake because Love will help generate uh spacing for sexton that he's just not going to get on his own uh i'm a little lower on sexton i'm not sure he's got that creativity finishing around the bucket that you kind of need especially as a smaller guy but that doesn't mean he can't get there and that's where the personality comes into play right yeah do you do you want to see him more on the floor this year with some of the other younger guys or do you want to see him in a lineup that has like a, a corver uh, the two guard and, and maybe some more veterans who might um, get, you know, a little bit more attention, have a little bit more gravity and might free things up for him a bit. I could tell you who I don't want to see him with. And that's Jordan Clarkson, who he played, <laughs> who he shared a backcourt with for most of the preseason. I mean, Jesus Christ, talk about a terrible fit. Uh, and a guy who neither guy helps the other. Um, I, to answer your question, Tom, I, I, I don't know if I care about the age of the people he's playing with as much as the styles. I want to see him with spacers. I want to see him playing with Corver. I want to see him playing with love. If Jetty's jumper is, is holding up. Sure. He can play out there and Jetty creates space in his own ways as a, as a excellent cutter and transition player. I will say this is the Cavs are going to need it to be a very good transition team this year. There's just no way around it. They don't have that much juice in the half court. Uh, so playing him with their young guys that are transition threats in Rodney Hood, Larry Nance, Jetty Osman, that and even Love as a trailer, that that is the way I see him being most effective is playing with spacers in the half court and guys who can run in transition. All right. So since you brought up Jordan Clarkson, I have to at least mention, I think it was Friday afternoon within the span of about five minutes. I saw two tweets. The one of them said that uh, a poll of the players on the team uh, had Jordan Clarkson as being the most impressive guy on the roster in the preseason. And the other tweet said that Jordan Clarkson spent 
three or four practices with Ty Lue this summer, learning how to dribble without looking down. You love to see. I, I was that, that I'm a little concerned if if that, if that's our best. Like what what uh, what 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 are we getting into here? If the Westgate Sportsbook didn't drop the Cavs over under by six wins after that article, <laughs> then what 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 will cause it? Um, I you know it's funny to make the jokes, but I do think like when you asked a player that, ninety nine percent of the time, what they're saying is best relative to their expectations. Um, and Clarkson seems like the guy who one, he seems like the guy who totally kills in practice. Uh, and also like a guy that didn't have super high expectations. So I'm not surprised he won. I mean, the guy who came in second was Isaiah Taylor. And like, that tells you what mentality the players had. And it, it, cause I don't care how good Isaiah Taylor was in camp. I don't think anyone thought he was better than Kevin Love. <laughs> so, so while it's easy to make those jokes, it's like, yeah, you know, and like to be clear, I don't have high hopes for Clarkson this season or ever at this point. The playoffs kind of broke me a little bit. Um, but you know, we've seen him put up numbers on bad teams and be bad team a good player on bad teams. Uh I think we're gonna we're let's just say I think we're gonna be in Jordan Clarkson's comfort zone this season. It's Jordan Clarkson time. Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I don't know how Jordan Clarkson's comfort zone really makes me feel as a fan. Uh, I would I would argue not good. Um, <laughs> but that's what it's like to be on a team that lost the best player in the world one summer, you know? Like and it's not like we have Kyrie around still, you know, if Kyrie was still here and we had Kyrie in love and then you could, you know, make some uh lemonade out of lemons, but we don't got no lemons. We, we we need reporters in Boston to stop asking Kyrie questions uh, about Cleveland because if I have to read God. one more story, this is a it's been over a year. He got what he wanted, and I feel like he's going out of his way to to piss people off. And it's as somebody who enjoys watching him play, uh, all the rest of it is just getting really old really fast. Tom, I would love if he was pissing me off. He's just hurting my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i thought we had a good thing here you know things run its course but hey we had some good times right wrong yeah not really says Kyrie. No, not really i hated your ass all along says Kyrie. <laughs> you know that great thing we did didn't mean that much to me says Kyrie. just hit oh. me with a steel chair right in the back Ugh. oh man it's like we're reliving we're reliving the birth of the NWO every fucking night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the hard F bomb. I don't know how your podcast works. Oh, that, that, that <laughs> is not the first and it sure sure as hell won't be the last. Can you imagine having a Cleveland sports podcast where you're not allowed to swear? Justin Justin and I have a bet on our podcast that like the most consistent like podcast trope in the world is when someone on a podcast swears and they go, I'm sorry, am I allowed to swear on here? And then whoever the host is goes way too far. And they're like, yeah, you can fucking swear. <laughs> it's like, jeez. I mean, we don't and have to celebrate like someone, it or anything. It's... And it's always someone like Zach Lowe. It's always someone like a little dorky that you wouldn't expect to swear. Oh, oh hell yeah. You can fucking swear shit. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> God, 
But then on his, he's getting like bleeped out, bleeped out every time he drops one of those. So it kind of loses oh, yeah. all the point. But I, I'll say this with regards to swearing. I actually kind of like the bleep. The bleep has its own comedic value at this point. All right, Doesn't I'll that, agree with that. Like it, like it all, like when it lands, it all, like in the right context, it's almost funnier than the swear word. Well, yeah, I think we're sort of desensitized to the swear word as a whole. Like yeah, by hearing don't that get me bleep, wrong. you're like, I love swearing, but it's always it's always funny though because you're like, yeah, everyone knows what you said. Do we really need this bleep? What's the point here? We all know what's going on. We're grown ups. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys might be a little bit older than me, but there's a fa- very famous episode of SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> where they learn swear words, and the F word is replaced by a dolphin sound. And I, I still kind of can't believe it made air, <laughs> but it's an amazing episode, and I always think about that whenever I hear a, a good bleep. I, I have not <laughs> seen that, but if I uh, need to watch a SpongeBob, I know the first one I'm going to be going and looking for on uh, on the YouTube there, so... I, SpongeBob came in right, like you know, like right at that like uh, uh, line of demarcation of like I'm getting a little too old for this, but it's this is like good kids show, so I can still I can still swing it. I can't watch the trash ones anymore, but this one's pretty clever. Oh, I hear you. I hear you with that. I my daughter just turned five this weekend, and we've just reached the age now where we've been watching like Disney Junior for years and. You know, put a fucking bullet in my head if I have to watch another PJ Mask. But have you ever watched Caillou? Which one? Caillou. I've not. Oh my god, it's a PBS show. It's a Canadian show. My little sister's ten years younger than me. Is that the and, one that's like universally hated? Oh yeah. Well, the kid's a whiny little shit, and it's like, <laughs> who decided that this was good children's education? We're teaching kids how to be whining losers. Oh. Yeah, and his parents always just give in to him, too, I think, right? I think I read about yeah, this not boy, that long ago. Like, I'm hungry. And then his dad's like, we'll get you some dinner. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> you oh, sold me on SpongeBob. This, on the other hand, not so much. I, sucks. <laughs> I don't know that. Like, I'm not, I'm not dad. I'm not, I don't have dad credentials yet, but I like, I feel like I got like a little crash course in being, by being so much older than my little sister. And uh, yeah, so I, I have some opinions on children's programming. I'm right th- there with you, Tom. Well, one of, one of my proudest accomplishments within the past year has been getting my daughter into watching Scooby-Doo and Tom and Jerry. Um, Tom and Jerry still holds up for me, and I'm in my late 30s now. So um, they, I- I'm very excited for that part of parenthood is like introducing my kids to things I love. Yes. Yeah. The, the Tom and Jerry is is classic and and. Watching the mouse put the cat's uh, tail in uh, an electrical socket or hitting him with a shovel or something, it it holds up. It's timeless. But uh, yeah, I'm, I I was always a Looney Tunes guy myself. Oh I'm yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm with you there too. They're, those are good. Um, yeah, cabs, cabs. <laughs> sorry, that, this is my that fault. probably <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about this cab season. Is we That's just my fault. Had probably the biggest, anyone who uh, listens to our podcast knows I love myself a good tangent. Oh. This is a perfect like metaphor for probably what a lot of this Cavs season will be like, though. By the second half, you're going to be focused on completely different things. Well, you're going to be watching Tom and Jerry by the second you're half gonna be of full, those Yeah, you're going to be looking up Caillou, bitching about this little kid. Hey, <laughs> uh, that kid. It's, anyway, uh, sorry, sorry to derail your rundown. <laughs> well, it, uh, it, it will probably – watching uh, Caillou or Tom and Jerry or SpongeBob or any of them will probably be more enjoyable than Sam Decker. 
Um, oh, dude, I got <laughs> I got hard opinions about Sam Decker. That dude, I'd rather have, I'd rather have Joe Noah playing backup four for me, just for the joy of making him play in Cleveland, than than watching Sam Decker. That guy, like I said it on our last podcast, I think is like that guy just is not athletic enough to play the archetype that he's like trying to play. You know, like if he were ten percent more athletic, he'd be this like. He'd be Jonas Jarepko is what he'd be, like a nice flashy 3-4 hybrid that can switch and, you know, attack a closeout off the dribble, hit just enough threes, but he's not athletic. He can't shoot. I don't see how he, he'll be a good defender. He's not a particularly good. I think he has like eight rebounds in the four preseason games. I, I'm going to be miserable every second this guy's on the floor, and this calf front office really seems to believe in him. I knew exactly what you thought about uh, Sam Decker, and I was hoping we were going to get a good Sam Decker rent. You did not disappoint me, so thank you. That was uh, that was everything I was hoping for. Um, <sighs> other front court guys, we've talked a little bit about Kevin Love. Uh, what are you expecting out of Larry Nance this year? Nance is a, in a weird spot because, and I, they're planning on like doing this like starter by committee spot at the center position between him and Tristan. Like when there's a bruiser in at center, Tristan will guard him uh, to save like Nance, the wear and tear. Uh, so like, what does that mean? Is it going to be like a 41 41 split if they're healthy at the starting spot? It's just a weird thing. By the way, remember when Tristan played power forward like five years ago, how much has the league changed? Wow. Yeah. It's remember uh... he was like, a small ball, a small four. I know, man. It's, it's it's been a weird evolution for the NBA in the last few years. I mean, I'm, I saw even a discussion uh, this weekend about you know the future of point guards, like the, what we've known as a traditional point guard, and you know it just seems like in general, in a lot of ways, we're moving more towards positionless basketball, and you know guys needing to be able to to do it all, no matter what position you're playing, and. Um, yeah, because I mean, there's no way in NBA 2018-19 that Tristan can be as effective at the four as he was, you know, pre-LeBron, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a team that almost beat the 2015 Warriors with him and Moskov at the four and five. That's that's three years ago. Yeah, it's it's. it's it's truly crazy, but you know, to back to the Nance point, um, you know, so that they're doing the starter by committee thing. He still has an extension that they're trying to work out. And I just, it doesn't quite sit right with me that they're so worried about Nance's ability to hold up as the five, but yet I don't think an extension is going to be cheap. Even if they get him at a decent rate, I think you're going to be, I think we're looking at, probably low eight figures, 10 to $12 million a year. And I'm just not sure I'm ready to pay that much for a guy. I don't think can be my starter 82 games a year. That gives me the willies, even if I like him as a player. This sort of thing should not factor into it, but does the fact that he comes with the feel good story of being Larry Nance jr. And wearing the number of his dad, uh, who had his number retired by this franchise, kind of add to the whole Nance package in terms of, you know, how you uh, are you know selling your team. I mean, it shouldn't, and I know it shouldn't, but is that even 
something that gets discussed because i mean it, it was this huge feel-good story yeah we're bringing larry nance home he he was born here his dad played here and you know we're, we're seeing him as this big foundational piece for the future and now you're kind of looking at it well it's time to make a decision on what you want to do with his contract and like you said it's like hmm, I, i'm hmm, i don't know i don't know man like to some extent like and i you probably if you you listen to the podcast so you've heard me make the point a thousand times but uh, it's just really st- stuck in my craw david zavek uh uh friend of the friend of the pod i'm sure uh one of the best cavs minds out there has said a billion times cavs fi- at some point need to generate a positive identity that does not involve lebron james guys like larry nance colin sexton good guys jetty osmond good guy good hard worker you know, maybe maybe you know, that's the identity they generate, you know, grit and grind East or something like that. Um, I don't need their next identity to be a championship identity, but it needs to be a positive one that builds towards something. Because right now they are just a, a mishmash. And that's why I'm fine with the Kevin Love extension, even if it's a little sentimental. I'm fine with playing up that Larry Nance is a local kid that really is honored to be here. Uh, that stuff matters, and and I think I I'm okay. I guess when you frame it that way, maybe throwing a couple million more than he deserves, um, even if it's not the best uh, X's and O's sense, because it's also worth noting. I'm not that worried about the Cavs cap sheet; they're not getting free agents to come here. <laughs> so I, I I think you uh, you talked me down just a little bit, just with that point, even though you didn't mean to. <laughs> Oh, there's value in this. Yeah, there's well, value in, in having a guy like that around. I mean, different point in his career, but in terms of like having that feel-good narrative around him, I mean, you got Channing Fry back here this year as well, and it definitely seems like there was a an effort with a number of the guys they do have on this roster. I mean, you question the fit of some of them playing together, um, but it definitely seems like good guys, likable guys, people that we enjoy cheering for, at least having – a healthy number of those guys on the roster was, was a consideration. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, this team has four guys left from their 2016 title team. And that includes Fry who they had jettisoned last year. Um, that's unusual. That's an unusually high amount of turnover. Um, and that was by mid season last year, we were down to three. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised they've tried to rejuvenate that. Um, I wonder, Tom, and I, you might, maybe I'm crazy. I wonder if they're going to try to bring Richard Jefferson into the organization somehow, some way. The freshly retired Richard Jefferson. I saw something today from him. He said he is going to be broadcasting his first game is going to be Nets and Cavs. That's in like mid to late November, but he is he doing it for Fox Sports Ohio? That was the thing. I, I he didn't specify like who he was working for, so I don't huh. know if that was I didn't like see that. working for the Nets or working for the Cavs or you know I don't think that's the. There's a weird. I cannot imagine that's a national TV game. No, you you laugh. There's a there's a Cavs Nets game that is national. I think on ESPN in like February. I have no idea why, but there is way. It's not this one, though. So, yeah, I would have to you know, assume. You know what we call that game? They call that a 
let's get it out of the way. That's a get them out of the way special, yeah. Like, shit, we gotta we gotta give these guys X amount of national games. Yeah, it's just, yeah, no, it's it's a holiday, or you know, like I guarantee you, there's some other competitor up that night that they weren't going to beat anyway. So, a lot of it. inventory on the national TV schedule to fill with uh, the players only broadcasts and uh, TNT. Oh, I has hate got players the, only, Tom. Oh, I hate. You know, the it. worst part of that, by the way, was uh, uh, Brent Barry getting um, hired oh, yeah, for a gone. front office job because he was like the one guy. Who could, could actually do it. serve as like a de facto play-by-play guy that didn't make me want to mute the TV? So yeah, um, that's what's so weird about the players only thing is like it's solving a problem no one had. Right? No one's like, God damn it, Mike Breen's on the call. <laughs> like everyone's fine with those guys. It's it's the play-by-play guys they don't or the color guys they don't like. Yeah. So it's like doubling down on a thing, and it's like I get we don't. I get trying something, but I don't think it's working, man. I think you're just asking someone to do it. Ultimately, what ends up happening is you're just asking someone to do a job that's not their job. It's so and bizarre that, that, since you mentioned it, that the dearth of likable uh, color guys on national broadcasts, I mean, especially since Steve Kerr went back into coaching, I think he was like the last really good a uh, color analyst that call that me we... crazy. I love Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, I don't mind Van Gundy either. He's all right. I I just know what his shtick is. So I like I I when I I I always say this both in real life and when I like analyze like basketball kind of stuff like that is like once I know who you like what you are I can kind of, and as long as I like what you bring to the table I kind of can look past a lot of your flaws. That's the way I feel about Jeff Van Gundy. Like. Yeah, I know he's never going to criticize a coach. Just like, ah, Jeff, and then move on. That's the way I feel about it. Way too much of the broadcast talking about the officiating and changing rules and and my overanalyzing. Uh, Listen, I get calls. all your critiques. I, uh, you're not wrong, but I don't care. I still like him. Yeah. Now, Reggie, I hate Reggie. Reggie I think sucks. everybody other than the people who sign his paychecks hate Reggie. I, I, I don't know any fan that's like, oh, good, we got Reggie Miller calling our game tonight. You know what? I, I think actually Reggie would do a better job if you put him in a studio. Okay. I, I, could, I could go for that. I, where he, he can be a little takier and a little bit more of an antagonist. Like, I don't want an antagonist in my broadcast booth. Yeah. It's... I, just want, I, I just want to learn and to watch. I want to have a shared reaction with the booth. And like Reggie, I don't like. I want him to like be talking shit after the game, not during. <laughs> I would say the biggest thing I I dislike about Jeff Van Gundy is that Mark Jackson is always sitting next to him. Yeah, I just kind of move on from Mark. He's fine. He's fine. I don't. Now that I don't have to hear him blatantly campaign for the Cavs job, uh, <laughs> it'll be easier. Oh, mama, there goes that man. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that act he's, is worn thin. But Yeah, he's not great. But well, he's not, I don't think he's so bad. No, but the, the thing of it is for us as Cavs fans is we're going from having 40 regular season games and all of the playoffs on national TV to uh, pretty much a year's worth of Fred and AC now uh, all the time. I think the Cavs have a, the first LeBron game 
and that random Nets game, and that's, that's it pretty much for it. national TV this year. So. Bring me AC, baby. Your friend and mine. I, I love Austin. I really thought that after Ellie Clifton got a shot at doing uh, uh, the analyst role for a, a game last year, and AC had to miss it, I kind of thought that might be the transition at least they, like, that might have been their plan, but she gone. Yeah. <laughs> she, she followed LeBron out West and as uh and it's normally the right call for media members to do so. Yeah. I, I can't knock it. I can't. No. Nope. So, yep. That might've been their plan, but uh, her trajectory, by the way, man, how have you ever seen an on-air person improve more than Allie did? Oh, no, I, I, I I was looking through an old, uh, an old, I was looking through, she mentioned on like a road tripping that she used to check old tweets and stuff. And I, and like, it used to like really mess with her. And like, I went and looked at like what I had tweeted and what other people had tweeted about her back in the day. And it's like, she was rough. She could barely do her job and she really grew into that position. So big ups to Allie Clifton. There you go. Yeah. She's, she was great last year. And that game that she got was in the booth with, with Fred, I I thought she was awesome. So yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Um. All right, quickly, but then we're gonna let you get out of here. Um. I don't even want to get into the West, just because that's really not the Cavs' problem for the foreseeable future. Uh. But the Eastern Conference, uh, it seems that the consensus of everything I've read is that, and and I would probably agree with this, that Boston and Toronto are are the top tier. Philadelphia's on the next tier and then, you know, kind of take your pick. Am I crazy for being uh, pretty high on Milwaukee and Indiana? No, I, I, I like those teams. I, I'm, I'm not actually as high on Indiana. If you listen to our uh, over under podcast, we did. Uh, I'm actually going to I'm actually going to put some money on the Indiana under. Um, but Milwaukee, it's just so easy. It just makes so much sense, right? Like you have Giannis and Middleton and guys like Bledsoe and Maker who NBA Twitter sort of gush over, but they never win any games uh, or nearly enough games. And you, and everyone is kind of consensus agreed. They've had one of the worst coaching situations of the league for year after year after year. And then they get coach, Bud, who has consistently been a very, very good coach, but never had really a listers to coach. Uh, you know, like Paul Millsap, Al Horford, they're nice players. They're not Giannis. So it feels like a perfect match. Now, if this team still underperforms once when push comes to shove, I think now it's time to start evaluating guys like Middleton and guys like Bledsoe and Brogdon and everyone who's not Giannis on the roster and maybe wonder, oh, maybe they're not as good as we thought. But it does feel like a, a perfect marriage. And I think this team, uh, because if Giannis is truly elite and takes even another step they have the best player in the conference and it's really hard to rule out the best player in the conference at any point all right i feel validated because i'm i'm in on milwaukee i i was in on milwaukee even when their coaching situation was a disaster so uh, i'm with you in terms of them having now that they've got uh budenholzer up there at uh I'm, I'm very curious to see what they look like this year um trev you got anything else uh, no, I think we're good. Actually, yeah, how much money do I need to donate to get you guys to say my name on your podcast? <laughs> I'll do it for free, Trav. My guy, yes. <laughs> it's a steal. You could have gotten at least $2 out of me. 
Uh, would it, it it wouldn't have been worth the processing fees? <laughs> Fair enough. I heard. Uh, I think Venmo just jacked them up. Actually, so <laughs> bastards got to make money somehow. And I can't blame them. We're all chasing that paper. All right, Carter. This has been awesome, man. Thank you. Of course, happy to be on. All right, he is at Carter underscore Shade on Twitter. And you can listen to the Chase Down pretty much in all the usual places you listen to podcasts. Um, as for us, we hope you will subscribe to The Nail on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Our thanks again to Carter Rodriguez for joining us. And uh, that's going to do it for us. So for Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 